Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. It is Monday morning, the 27th of November. Great to be with you today. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. No better way to start the day than spending some time in the Word of God. Let's allow the Word of God to get into us that when we get out there into the world that God so loves, um, we might do so in ways that honor Jesus. So, Let us uh, hear from God through that which he has already spoken. So how might God speak to you through that which he has already spoken? This is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch, bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, for those of us living on this side of the the incarnation, the birth, the life, the miracles, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, well, we know who the shoot is, who the new branch is, who this fruit-bearing person is upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rested or rests. But in the days of Isaiah, they would not have known um, they they could have only imagined, they could not have imagined Jesus, but they could have only imagined what the prophet Isaiah meant, that out of the stump of David's family would grow a shoot, that this would be a person who would sit on the throne of David forever and ever, that he would reign, that he would rule. Different kind of family lineage, different kind of bloodline, different kind of rule and reign, in fact, one that people could never have imagined. Angels couldn't even imagine it, for that matter. So out of the stump, from the old root would grow a shoot, a new branch, and from it a new family tree. So the heritage here is King David, the line of David, the one to whom was promised upon this throne, you know, upon your throne, uh, God's Messiah would sit forever. And the legacy here is a legacy of lordship, a lordship over all, not a family bloodline per se in the way that we think about that, but a family born of the blood of Jesus, born of God. And that new branch would bear fruit. And so I want you just to consider for a moment that you, as a believer, as a Christian, you are contained in this prophetic word this morning. God's talking about you in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Yes, yes, he's talking about Jesus. But out of this new branch, out of this new family line, 
there would be fruit. That's you. That's me. Like, the, the when Isaiah is talking about the fruit of the branch of the vine, he's talking about you. How cool is that? Have you ever wondered, like, well, where am I in the Bible? Well, you're right there. Look at you right there. Fruit, fruit of the vine. You got to read John 15 to get the fullness of the understanding of how Jesus talks about this prophecy, not only pointing to himself, but pointing to you and pointing to me. I am the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Jesus is the vine. You get that? He's the one that grew. He's the shoot out of the stump of David's family. He's the new branch. He's the one bearing fruit from an old root. You get that, right? You get the connection here between Isaiah 11 and John 15? Okay, just checking. Jesus goes on. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can bear no fruit. That's, that's you, that's me. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. I love this portion of uh, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Think about um, the way the baptism of Jesus is described in the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on Jesus. Think about the way you know, uh, the things you know about Jesus and the way the Spirit rested on him. The spirit, um, which the spirit of the Lord, which rests upon Jesus, is described in this way: a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And guess what? If you are in Christ, you are possessed of that same spirit. The spirit of the Lord can rest on you. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. My friend, Jesus is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke, the one who was coming. Indeed, the one who has come, his name is Jesus, and we await him again. So we both celebrate the fulfillment of this prophecy, and we await its consummation in the second coming of Jesus. As we prepare ourselves to enter into the season of Advent this coming Sunday, I want us to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who came, and he is here, and yes, he is coming again. And those who are in Christ are all caught up in all of that by the power of the Spirit. Our friend Dave Buring is back from a trip overseas. Um, On behalf of the Lord, we want to get a a report from the field from him. Um, And we also just want to visit with him about how the Spirit of the Lord rests upon us as followers of Jesus. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, our friend Dave Buring is back. You can find Dave and really great resources for your own journey of discipleship at lionshare.org. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Carmen. Is the Spirit of the Lord upon you today, my friend? 
He is indeed. And isn't it awesome that that's a truth that regardless if you wake up feeling that or not, it's still true. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. It's an amazing truth. Yeah. You have been, um, you have been away. You have been overseas and respecting that there are things that must be generalized in order to protect folks. I would like for you to catch us up on, you know, like, where have you been? What you been doing? Who have you seen? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, had one of those long trips to Asia where from the moment you leave your home till you get to where you're staying there was 30 hours. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was the, the 15 hour flight and transitions in this place and that. But um, I have a friend of mine who is, I like to call one of those secret agent kind of missionaries that just, you know, not a lot of people know about, uh, but the kinds of work they have done is absolutely impacted eternity. And um, there is a, a group of people in Asia where God has been moving in a mighty way that has caused people of various faith backgrounds, let me just put it that way, to come to Jesus in scores. Like Carmen, Mm. over over 200,000 house churches. They Mm. don't know what a pastor is. They don't know what a church building is. All they know is Jesus has transformed their lives and they share it And, and catch this. So this thing has multiplied into millions of people. And so those listening just need to be encouraged that Jesus is on the move. We might not see it every day in our own country quite like this, but it is just remarkable. And um, the methodology that is used is once a person comes to Jesus, they are challenged to win and baptize five more. So catch Mm. this. I, I asked, what is the normal length of time from said person uh, giving their life to Jesus to those five being added to them starting a house church. They said the average is less than 30 days. Think about that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it, it is it's stunning. And and so that within less than 30 days, this brand new believer has led some out of these various religious strongholds they've been a part of family and friends that have come to Jesus. And that is now their house church. And then those five begin to do the same. And the ramifications of the multiplication of obedience-based discipleship, just you don't even have a category for it. And in the midst of what they do, Carmen, they, you know, 90% of them are illiterate. They cannot read or write. And so while we were teaching uh, the leaders, we were with about 300 plus leaders over a six-day period, and some coming from uh, one religious background, another uh, another religious background, and the rehearsing we had to do. Like, Carmen, you're familiar with discipleship journey, and, and in there we have seven ways from the scriptures that God speaks to us. So as I'm teaching this, I'm you know, the first one is the scriptures. The second one is impressions from the Holy Spirit. The third one is waiting on God. Well, as I'm going through these, I'm just having them out loud, rehearse them over and over. So you know, we spoke for an hour, which means you had a half hour because the other half was being translated. But during that time, 10 to 12 times, I rehearsed those things with them because they couldn't write them down. Mm-hmm. So you had to get, get get it in them. And now some of the leaders, of course, could read and could write, but not all of them. And so you have this dynamic going on. 
that is amazing. And then then think about this. The, the average income of these people is $100 a month. That's the average income. And as they studied the scriptures through others reading it to them and then processing it, they got to the portion of Matthew about the least of these. So in their culture, they said, who's the least of these? And they said, it's the widows. Because the other religions around them do not tend them or take care of them. They have risen up and all within themselves taken care of widows, providing sewing machines and cows for milk and chickens for eggs and seeds for vegetables that these widows can take care of themselves by tending these things and then selling them. Mm. And, and let me share a story with you of, as they shared with us about persecution in this one particular village, because they had saved about 2000 people. There was several of these little house churches now, but the dominant religion of that village said, because you are following Jesus and not our religion anymore, you are no longer welcome to the village. Well, like that's, mm. That's not a place where they can just say, well, we'll run down to Kroger or we'll just go pick something up. Mm -mm. It's the village well where they all get their water from. Well, what this man who blocked them from the village well didn't realize at the time was these house churches were actually taking care of his widow mother. And he Mm. was blown away when he found out how they were tending her. They led him to Jesus. He then led his widow mother to the Lord. And the well was once again open to them. Mm. Like story after story after story like that. So I left there awed by Jesus, applauding the loudest I possibly could of what they have made the church of Jesus look like. And just like dumbfounded with the multiplication, not only of new souls being one, but of people being genuinely discipled so they can reproduce the same. It was simple. It was clear, it was relational, and it was easily reproduced. Uh, Amazing. When we come back, I'm going to ask Dave to talk with us about obedience-based discipleship in America today. Wherever you live, um, you're not being barred from the village well because of your faith. Um, But are you also reproducing as a disciple in the ways that um, that Dave is describing. I mean, isn't the same spirit available to us? Isn't the same teaching of Scripture um, God's Word to us? Um, we have so much. What are we doing with it? These people who, by the world standards, have so little are multiplying the kingdom in ways that most of us are not. So we're going to we're going to talk about that um, in just a moment. Is your discipleship obedience-based? What's the last thing God told you to do, and have you done it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, what about hope? What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving around the world. I got a hope hat. I got a hope shirt. I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps? How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is one reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas, 
Have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on. We're talking with our friend Dave Buring from LionShare, LionShare.org. So, Dave, uh, most of us are, um, yeah, we are are living on more than $100 um, a a month. We're living on more than $100 a day. We're living on, some of us living on more than $100 an hour, right? I mean, if you were really to think about the the plenty we have. Um, And so that's not the issue. Like the issue is not that we don't have enough. The issue is not that we're restricted from visiting the village well because we're Christians. Um, the issue is we're disobedient. I you you have you are fond of saying uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. Talk, talk yeah. with us about talk with us about obedience based discipleship in you know in America. Like, what does well, that look like? I mean, it, this is, yeah. you, you described to us what it looks like in, you know, in this remote part of Asia where 90% of the people are illiterate. How about a place where 90% of the people are literate? And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Carmen, I'm, so I'm still processing this. I've been back for 10 days now and, you know, I'm still writing things down and, and seeing things and, you know, you're capturing very much the epicenter of what what I experienced. It was loving Jesus, loving your neighbor and obedience-based discipleship. And I, I just got to tell you, it's like one of the, one of the widows, it was actually the very first widow they ministered to her, her husband died of COVID and they came alongside of her spiritually and to help her because it was just a dark time for her. But now this, this woman has these two different groupings of people 155 each that she has instigated that make up 50 house churches she Mm. started with her five that she led to jesus and and here's the thing here's one of my takeaways related to our own precious land is we are often taught when we first come to jesus you're not mature enough yet to go back out there and share your faith and these guys capitalize on the fresh forgiveness, the fresh freedom that they're experiencing. And they say, like the day they give their life to the Lord, they charge them, go tell five family and friends what Jesus has done to you. And they do. And people respond. And and that's why I asked the question, like I had observed all this, it was my last day there. And that was the one question I had is like, what's the average time? between when that person gives to Jesus and the other five or one, they said the average is less than 30 days. And it caused me to sit there, Carmen. And, and like when I was talking to my wife, Cheryl, about this, when I got home, we, you know, we were saying, okay, what, who is the last person we led to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like these guys are rattling off five in a month and it doesn't stop. It. They don't like park and go, okay, did my part. Five, like five they, done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just keep going. And, and it's like, like, here's my thoughts on this. Like, we we can rag on our nation, but the way to change it 
is to lead more people to Jesus than to disciple them in the ways of God. It's those two things. And so can I just be so bold to say, and you've heard me say this kind of thing before, Carmen, I think that we are as a country where we are because we have disobeyed Jesus. We are not winning people. And then when we win them, we're just glad they're there at our potlucks. We're not discipling them so they can grow spiritually. So they not only win more, but they can help develop others more. The hunger that these leaders, like like the here's the leaders group. So one group was 150, one was 160 some. And we asked the question, how many of you have known Jesus for more than five years? Like one hand out of the 150. How mm. many, and we, we kept boiling it down, you know, four years, three, the average was between two and three years. That's how long they yeah. had known Jesus. And then if you flip that script, um, and you go into, let's say, a Sunday school classroom, a small group yeah. of your yeah. sort of average American church, and you ask that same yeah. question, my guess is it's my whole Decades. life, 50 or yeah. more years. Yeah, there's not a new believer in the bunch. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it yeah. it was causing me to just realize, you know, how oftentimes, like, like here was another American mm. contrast for me, is like these people— have not had discipleship at all like we have. But what has happened is they have experienced Jesus. And when we're there and others come in to do the kinds of things that we did with them, it's rounding things out for them biblically. They experienced it first. Now they go, oh, mm -hmm. so that's the mm -hmm. ways of God. Oh, and then it grounds them. We do it completely reverse. We got to get everybody equipped for two years. And then maybe they're ready to do something for God. These guys are winning people to Jesus within 24 and 48 hours of them coming to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and they're starting house churches when they're less than a month old in the Lord. It's like, yeah, yeah so it, I think I think in answer to the question that I'm frequently asked, um, you know, because there are a number of new churches in the community where I live, and it's already a community that where there's a, you know, there's a there's a church seemingly on every corner, but the church on every corner is not welcoming. It's not it's not interested particularly in new believers unless you're just going to come and be like them, join the potluck, whatever. Um, and so new churches are being planted by new believers. And and I think that um, is, is a witness, a testimony. It's also um, a rebuke of of the way we've been doing church. One ongoing conversation, Dave, that we've been having here um, is with Jeff Christofferson. Um, and he he novelized this entire conversation that we're having in in a in a novel called Once You See. And in it, he talks about the temptations that the Western church has fallen into and then the kingdom correctives. And so I mm -hmm. appreciated when you you used the language there of um uh of you know like our uh, the the way we experience it maybe in a Western church versus the the kingdom corrective that you experienced um, when you were with these new believers. One of the things that he talks about is professionalism. Like that is one of the seven temptations yeah. of the Western church. And that's yes. what you're describing. Like we actually think it's somebody's job. Like we pay somebody like Dave Buring to go and, you know, and go and yeah. make disciples. Well, yeah. that's, it, it's really every disciple's job to, be reproducing ourselves as others come to know, we introduce them to Christ as they come to know him. We then walk with them in their journey of discipleship, whatever point they're at to, you know, as far as we can go with them. And some of them will 
quickly outpace us and we got to get excited about that. Um, we, I think we also imagine that, um, and you, you didn't point to this, but I guarantee you there are already people asking the question. Okay, well, Dave goes and Dave teaches people and then Dave suggests other people are going to come and going to teach. Well, who are those people? Are they credentialed? Like, are they, what, what denomination are they? <laughs> like, right, there's this like partisanism yeah. that yeah. jumps in so fast and it's yeah. a religious partisanism. It's not, yeah. um, and then, and then maybe the other part of this that I'm reminded of from what Jeff says in his book um, and again, it's called Once You See. For those of you listening, you know it's like my favorite book from the year. Um, he talks about um, paternalism. What you went to do was not to create a bunch of people who are Americanized Christians. No, not at all. But that's but that's sort of the paternalism of the Western church. Yes. Like we know yes. it all and we're going to teach these <laughs> other people all these things. So can you... Can you tell us, like, make sure people understand that's not what you were doing? Yeah, I know no, it's not, not what all. you were doing, but can yeah. you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like my, like the fear of the Lord, I was walking in as I was there. And I said to the leaders, don't let anybody from the outside come in to corrupt what Jesus is doing. Like, make sure, you know, that, that, like, we submitted what we were sharing, we actually only taught on like, like they had a copy of our discipleship journey manual, the leader over there, and he went through it and he picked out 15 pieces. We only had time to cover seven of them, but where he would, so we taught what they asked, you know, us to teach. We didn't go in and say, well, we think you need this and we think you need that. And there was, you know, there was a couple things that we shared that they just said, we, we don't even think this way, but we needed to think this because it was a bigger perspective thing. And it was just with their 10 leaders of the whole movement. And we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands, over, well over a million to a million and a half people here that these people helped tend. And so when we had some heart-to-heart stuff with leaders, I asked them, like, how can we help you? It's like, you guys are, you know, I just said to Paul in the commercial break, I said, you know, look, we went over to teach, but we were the ones actually that went to school, right? Mm-hmm. And And so... And, and it's, there's been a faulty historical thing. And I'll just make this brief, but there's been a faulty historical traditional American missionary mentality that you go create a missionary base or a kind of a Christian community and everybody's drawn into your community, which brings your culture. And that, can I just be honest and say some of that has helped, but more often than not, it has not helped in the ongoing movement of God amongst indigenous people. And it, it can be proud. It can be arrogant. It can also be just habits. This is what we know. And I have plenty of stories, firsthand stories to share on, on that very dynamic. This was one of those things for me, Carmen, where in the fear of the Lord, I just said, Jesus, don't let us screw this up. Just let us contribute where we can wash their feet so they can run better. Oh, it's so good. Dave, um, thank you. As you uh, as you continue to process and you continue to journal, you know, be sure that um, you know you you make note of the things the those those gifts that you want to um, pass along to us in the future as well. We we appreciate appreciate our time together, brother. Thank you. Love you guys. Thank you. Love you too. So, um, Lincoln Logs. I have a friend uh, who lives on my street who is now making. Um, 
uh, reality TV shows. I, I'm just going to call it the Lincoln Log uh, Show. I don't know that that's what it will end up being called, but it should be. There's these guys building these cabins out of what look like Lincoln Logs. And it got me thinking about Abraham Lincoln, or actually maybe the conversation that we're going to have with Adam Carrington about Abraham Lincoln got me thinking about the Lincoln Logs. Anyway, I quickly read a Lincoln Log, and here's um, one of Lincoln's, um, apparently Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, got up early in the morning, took a walk with the Lord, to think about life. Then he worked for an hour and then he ate a simple breakfast, one egg and a cup of coffee. All right. Um, And uh, he read the newspaper often aloud in order to retain information, which some people found kind of bothersome. Uh, He often worked standing at a work table facing the window, not sitting uh, at a desk facing the interior of a room, committed to learning something new every day, sometimes took a brief midday break for a lunch. He had an apple, nuts, cheese, and maybe a cracker. Uh, In the afternoon, he liked to spend a little time relaxing in nature, maybe taking a solitary horseback ride. Dinner was promptly at six. Why was that? He wanted to allow a full 12 hours between dinner and the next day's break fast. And yes, he had his favorites. Oyster stew, corn pone, chicken fricassee, and apple pie for dessert. Mostly drank water. Went to bed uh, promptly at 10 or 11, unless there was news that he was concerned about, in which case he stayed up late with the telegraph operators. He was uh, not a deep sleeper, restless sleeper, suffered with insomnia, so often paced the halls of the White House late at night. He was a man with a lot on his mind. Uh, The nation he served was divided. We could learn a lot from a man like Lincoln. So we're going to learn a little more from our friend Adam Carrington. He joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Dr. Adam Carrington is back from Hillsdale College. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Happy, Hope everyone uh, had a good Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. yeah. All full of turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk with us um, about Abraham Lincoln. We have remind us um, of the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address and then um, draw out some enduring lessons from it for us. Sure. The Gettysburg Address was given on November 19th of 1863. It was given uh, to dedicate the cemetery that had just been created at uh, Gettysburg itself. The battle had been there five months earlier, the most famous battle of the American Civil War, considering by many the the turning point of, of, of the war. And uh, pardon me. Um, this uh, uh, last uh, uh, week and about a week and a half ago now was the um, uh, 160th anniversary of that address. And while only being 272 words, the entire address is only 272 words, it has now become possibly the most famous speech ever uttered on American soil. Uh, and, and an interesting factoid, it followed a more than two hour address by a Harvard professor at the same event. Uh, the, the man who gave that two-hour address said said to Lincoln later, you said in two minutes better than I said in two hours. <laughs> and uh, why, why it has enduring lessons is it really is asking um, what America is uh, and what is and why America would be worth keeping. 
which was something that they were struggling with at the time in the midst of, as Lincoln says, a great civil war that is testing whether America, as it was founded, could continue, could endure. And I think as they were debating the what it means to be a political community and then particularly what justice is in that particular political community related to slavery in particular, the chattel slavery that eventually came to an end through that war. Uh, I think our the enduring lessons is we are still asking, what does it mean, as Lincoln said, that we are conceived in liberty, our country, and that we are dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal? How does liberty and equality play out today? And I think that there are uh, issues, even if we have banned slavery uh, in the United States, there are still issues of the the um, protection for the unborn, um, end of life questions like uh, euthanasia. Uh, there's other issues of whether liberty is following what God created us to be or following uh, our own being our own gods and saying what we want to do ourselves. So I think uh, uh, his his lessons were coming out of the American Civil War, but they end up being perpetual questions of what it means to be free and equal people under God, as he says at the end of the speech, that uh, resonate even today, 160 years later, and, and is part of its greatness. What stands out to you as one of those lessons that endures today that we desperately need um, in our common life? I think when he says at the end that they are going to rededicate themselves as Mm -hmm. they have dedicated that field for burial, they are going to rededicate themselves to uh, two things that are connected, a new birth of freedom and the Mm -hmm. government of the people by the people for the people will not perish from the earth. And I think that new birth of freedom uh, is something that politically and 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 religiously that we should be seeking politically and i think understanding our liberty better as under god which is again something he says uh way before it was put in the pledge of allegiance and also the idea the government of by and for the people um is 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 reinforcing our equality before god and again i'd say the other the other freedom being um Ultimately, our new birth of freedom needs to be as the church in Christ. And I don't think he was pointing toward that, but I think that new birth of freedom has almost always um, supported any political birth of freedom, civil and religious liberty together. So I think those things are all things that we can uh, especially take away and hope for and pray for today. When um, when we think about the times in which Lincoln lived. Do you see parallels to the times in which we live today in terms of national division, people um, having opposing uh, an opposing sense of what it means to be American, um, what it means to have certain rights, um, what it means to live with people with whom we disagree like i'm just i'm wondering i feel i feel like there are certainly some parallels and i'm wondering if you see some as well uh, i do and and there's no it's not a coincidence and i've made this connection too that lincoln had given a speech 5 years before that called a house divided 
where he had used mm. the biblical metaphor that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he was talking not the way, um, uh, not the way Jesus was, but about a country can't remain half slave and half free. And ultimately it can't because that comes from a fundamentally distinct understanding of what human beings are. We either are equal under God before God or we're not. And I think that today we have very intense disagreements and that they are on certain issues, not all issues, but on certain issues, very fundamental on is, uh, you know, is God the ruler of history and therefore our history? Uh, what does it mean for people to be equal? Um, and how does that affirm uh human beings from womb to, uh, to tomb, but also affirm human beings in the way God created them uh, and the way God intended them. And so, yeah, I think that intensity and how deep those divisions are, there are some parallels. I mean, I want to be cautious and say, I, I, I think that while there has on occasion been political violence, I don't see a civil war on the horizon, thankfully, and, and let's pray that it doesn't happen. But the depth of the divisions and their import for 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 the country, uh, I certainly think there's there's parallels there. We have not always been in this kind of rift between um, state to state, town to town, even neighbor to neighbor. And 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 I think looking at um, that situation uh, and trying to not repeat its mistakes that led us to war. Uh, and try to say how can we maybe even do better? I think is 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 a worthy is a worthy goal. Uh, for those of you listening, and you're saying to yourself, um, how long is four score and seven? Well, a score is twenty, so four score is eighty, and seven is seven. So eighty-seven years, um, eighty-seven years after the Declaration of Independence. Um, in 1776. So when Lincoln is talking about four score and seven, he's talking about the distance in time between the Declaration of Independence and what we now know um, as the Gettysburg Address. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment with Dr. Adam Carrington. We're going to talk about um, the political need we have for public thanksgiving Um, One of the uh, Thanksgiving proclamations that we read last week was uh, Lincoln's proclamation. We also read the one from the first president of the United States, George Washington. We have a political need for public Thanksgiving today, and we're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, I really like it that you listen whenever you want, wherever you are, at all times of the day and night. That is so cool. So thank you so very much for all the ways in which you support this ministry with your prayers and words of encouragement. Right now, in order for this podcast to be available everywhere all the time for everyone, I actually need your help. Could you support this podcast right now so that more people in more places at every hour of every day could hear about Jesus and grow in their relationship with him? Click the link in the show notes or give now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thank you so much again for listening to this podcast. Hey, our friend Dr. Adam Carrington is here with us today. He has a piece posted online at Adfontis, the Adfontis Journal, 
in the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee, the political need for public thanksgiving. Adam, make your case. Yes, uh, one would be a historical case for all of our history, really, even going back to colonial times. We have had moments where, as a political people, we have been called to give thanks and and that Thanksgiving was understood to not be, you know, the the uh, feast of the intransitive verb <laughs> that mm-hmm. we were try that if you are giving thanks, you're giving thanks to someone, right? Uh, and and who would that be if if not God? And that um, why would we do that as a people and not as a political people and not just uh, individuals uh, or, or churches? Uh, it's the idea that God is the God of the nations. Uh, God works out his plan of redemption and plans for the good and benefit of human beings through nations. And therefore, um, we we uh, we should see uh, that he blesses nations still and 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 at times punishes them. And not to equate any of them with ancient Israel, they're not, but uh, therefore, I think uh, there is an obligation to say when when God has blessed and benefited uh, uh, citizens, that that is something that they should take account for and that publicly doing it publicly, making an announcement and pronouncement, giving time and space for people to gather in church if they want to to do so is um, a good way of encouraging knowing that we are more than our own bodies uh, we are more than our own time. We are more than um, uh, uh, meant for this earth, and that uh, that can be ways of pointing to to those greater truths and enabling people and giving people the space to do so. Because as I'm sure if you were reading those uh, proclamations, none of them required people to give thanks to God. Uh, mm-hmm. None of them forced people to gather together or made churches do so, but it encouraged them to. It gave them reasons why they should, and it gave them time and space to do so. And I think if we, if we believe God is the God of history, uh, then then this is one way of acknowledging that and thanking God for the blessings he gives in working out that history. Okay, so now can I raise a concern Sure. In in yeah. the 2023 presidential proclamation for Thanksgiving Day, God is never mentioned, nor is there any sense that the blessings that we have are from any particular source. It it reads this, as families, loved ones, and friends across the country come together to celebrate Thanksgiving, let us be grateful for all the blessings of this nation and its limitless possibilities, which, of course, Adam led me to imagine that then we were going to acknowledge the one from whom those blessings flow. But that's not what happens. Here's what he says. Uh, Again, this is the presidential proclamation for 2023 for Thanksgiving Day. Throughout our country's history, this season of reflection and giving thanks comes in good times and tough ones. Before there was a United States of America, the pilgrims celebrated Thanksgiving in honor of their first successful harvest and the support and generosity of the Wamanakang people who made it possible. Okay, God gets no credit in in what, during the days of the pilgrims, God would have gotten full credit for. 
Amid the fierce battle of our nation's independence, General George Washington and his troops celebrated Thanksgiving on the way to Valley Forge. Now, we read George Washington's presidential proclamation for Thanksgiving, and it is, let me just say, God-laden. It is full of God. And then, during the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed Thanksgiving a national holiday to honor the blessings of our country, even as he fought to preserve our union. Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation is God-drenched as well. I just, it's troubling to me that we could have a presidential proclamation related to setting aside a day of Thanksgiving that never acknowledges that that thanks is to be rendered to anyone, to any entity, to any deity, that we're just giving Thanksgiving to ourselves. It's a it's a self-referential Thanksgiving proclamation. It doesn't make any sense to me. Which then becomes a form of either pride or bragging, because that really means you're patting yourself on the back for uh, what you did, which seems to not to be against the inherent humility that comes with Thanksgiving. And yes, I, I think that that that's wrong and and that's bad. And that's where you see that the President Carmen would have a different kind of Thanksgiving <laughs> proclamation is all I maybe want to say about that. Well, and, and, and I'll say that that that's the danger with other holidays as well that have been both kept by the people in general and by churches, uh, Christmas being the next one, mm. right? Yes, um, Christmas that, being that the next one. Where, where inherently, you know, why do we celebrate? Why do we give each other gifts? Because God gave us the ultimate gift of the incarnation and then ultimately death and resurrection of his son. Um, and so I think what this is saying is there needs to be a vigilant guard to maintain why these uh, holidays and these mem- uh, rememberings came up in the first place and to not let there be a kind of mission creep that uh, turns them into something other than they were intended because then they lose the actual reason for their existence. And, and that's where tradition is not blind. It cannot be we do this because we've always done it. It must be why do we do this and how can we maintain the goods that it was instituted in the first place to do? And yes, that that presidential proclamation loses the plot line. It loses the ultimate story <laughs> that we are situating ourselves within. I might have to I might have to write a blog about this because I there's just so much missing from this year's presidential Thanksgiving proclamation. And there's so much in here that's worthy of, of commentary. Um, not least of which this, and I will, I will leave this um, for you because I don't know if this, is, uh, if this is normal or not. But in the sign-off, it does acknowledge that this is, you know, the, the year of our Lord, 2023. But then it adds this, and of the independence of the United States of America, 248. Are we starting to count things based on the age of America and not just on the year of the Lord? I don't I don't know. That was new to me, so I'm going to do a little research on that. Adam, I I know you probably want to answer. Is that it? Do you know? Mm. All right, we may have already lost him because I told him I was walking off. All right. That's all we have for um for this hour. I want to leave you with this as we pivot to another hour together here on Mornings with Carmen. Psalm 144, man is like a vanity, right? I mean, not like you're not like the vanity in your bathroom. That's not what that means. Man is likened unto vanity, his days a shadow that passes away. Man, like a breath, his days like a passing shadow, like a breath of air, like 
um, like a puff of wind, like the shadow cast by a campfire. Just think about that for just a moment. And yet we are substantial persons. We are created in the image of God. We are precious in God's sight. He knows the number of the hairs on our heads. And yes, the number of our days. Four score and seven, maybe. Maybe you're already past four score and seven. Maybe you're headed toward five score. I don't know. But at some point, this life is going to come to an end. But this life is the beginning of an eternal life. And so are we counting our days um, forward or backward? And how are you living so that your days will count? Like, are you counting days or are you living in such a way as unto the Lord in order that your days will count? Counting days and days that count, that's going to be part of the conversation that we're going to have next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.